morning. I'll be reading Romans 1, verses 1 through 7. And if you'd like to follow along in a pew Bible, that's on page 939. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I do hope that you will have your Bibles open before you as we look together this morning at this letter to the Romans. We are beginning a study of this book. Last week I argued that it is the Himalayas of the Bible. It is the most precious possession that you own, your copy of the book of Romans. It has changed the lives of so many people throughout the centuries. Last week we had an introduction to the book and we talked about who Paul was. We talked about him as a servant of Christ Jesus. And in verse 1 we now come to the phrase, called to be an apostle. And we have to dwell here. Uh, Maybe when Paul wrote this, his original readers immediately understood what was being said. But in our day, with 2,000 years separating us and the writing of this letter, this phrase is unintelligible to many. We stumble over the word called. What does it mean to be called? How do we know if, if someone has truly been called to something? How do we know if we've truly been called to something? In college, I I sat in religion classes with um, some young ladies who were training for the pastorate. And I I knew even then that that the scriptures in 1 Timothy forbid, as I understand it, ladies from from being pastors in a church. And yet these young ladies, many of them as, as nice as they could be and seemingly in love with the Lord Jesus, felt called to be pastors. And many of my professors would would say things like this, you can believe what you want to believe about the Bible, but you must never question another person's calling. Calling is a a deeply personal thing, they said, something that's, that's deep in the soul. It's just improper to question the legitimacy of someone's calling. And so there's a lot of confusion in our day about what it means to be called to something. And there's genuine questions being asked. Preacher, how do I know if I've been called to serve in this way? And then if we can get our minds straight about this, about this word called, what it means that Paul was called to be an apostle, we didn't stumble over the word apostle. Because it's not a word that many of us use anymore. What, what, what is an apostle? 
What does it mean when we see a billboard on the side of the road for a church and and that church says that they are led by apostle so-and-so? And are we to expect that there are still apostles today as there were in the time of the New Testament? And so we have all of these questions that we need to figure out. And then, and then if we can figure out what it means to be called, and if we can figure out the meaning of this word apostle, then we still have to ask that other question, so what? Why does the fact that Paul was called to be an apostle matter to me? Because you see, this isn't a throwaway phrase. This isn't a meaningless addition to the word of God. God put these words here. For our good. They matter for our Christian walk, for our marriages, for our families, for our vocations. So what bearing does all this have on our lives? And so here's our outline. First, what does it mean to be called? Second, what is an apostle? Third, what bearing does Paul's apostolic calling have on our lives as followers of Jesus. Now my goal this morning is simply to answer the first question. What does it mean to be called? See, there are two different ways in which the Apostle Paul uses this word called in his letters. The first and most common way refers to Christians as those who have been called by God to salvation. This is how he uses the word in verse 6. You see verse 6? Including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Look at verse 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. And so Paul... Uh, uses this word called often in the context of our conversion and relationship to Jesus, our call to sanctification and holiness, our call to walk with the Lord. It is, it is a word used in reference to our salvation. Now the most important thing to understand here is that when Paul uses the word call or called, particularly in reference to conversion, he uses it To speak of an effectual call. Everybody say the word effectual. This is a call which creates a willingness in the heart of the one called. It isn't just that the call to believe on Jesus comes into your ears and then you can can choose either to accept that call or you can choose to reject that call. The gospel does come that way. But that's not the gospel call that Paul likes to talk about. When Paul uses this word call in regards to salvation, he's referring to what happens when the Spirit of God works through the preaching of the gospel and actually grants to a person the desire and the will to believe the gospel. Imagine a preacher standing before a congregation calling people passionately with all his heart to turn from their sins and believe on Christ. And the pastor is pleading with them 
And it's a call for people to be saved. And the people are sitting in the pews or the seats and they're, they're listening to this pleading of the pastor and, and they have a choice. They can either accept the call of that pastor or they can reject the call to turn from their sins and believe on Christ. But now imagine that as the preacher is preaching, something else is happening. Something invisible. Something very powerful. As the preacher is preaching, maybe it's a particular lady who has heard the gospel a hundred times before, but suddenly, for some reason, on this day, at this time, she's hearing the the gospel in in a new way, in a different way. She suddenly has a deep sense of her own wickedness the vile way in which she has treated God and His Word and His commands, the terrible things she has said or thought or done towards others. And she is overcome by the realization that God is good and holy and that she has sinned against Him and that her soul is in trouble because God is just and must punish sin. And so as the preacher preaches, she she sees Jesus lifted up as a Savior. She hears Jesus being lifted up as one who can bring forgiveness and reconciliation to God. And in a moment, that, that heart of hers, which when she stepped into the room, didn't give a flip about the Lord Jesus. Now, for some reason, this heart, she, she cares. She's gripped. She's deeply convicted. There may be other people in the room and they don't feel that way at all. I'm wondering what's for lunch. But for some reason, this this is happening to her. And it's as if, as the preacher is saying, come to Jesus, she's hearing another voice as well. It's almost as if in her heart, she is hearing Jesus himself say, dear sinner, come to me. And she does. She can't help but come. (laughs) Nothing could possibly keep her away from this Savior. Well, this calling is not the work of any preacher. It's the work of the Spirit of God. And every person who is a true child of God has been called in that way. If you are here and you are a believer, that has happened in your life. It's a part of that great golden chain of salvation. Remember the great golden chain of salvation in Romans 8, verse 30. Paul says, And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He also justified, He also glorified. If you're one of the ones who is going to be glorified on the day when we meet our Savior or the day we die and we go to be with Him, then you are one who has been justified. And if you are one who has been justified, set right with God, you're sins put away, Christ's righteousness imputed to your account, if you have been justified, it is because you are one who who has been called. The Holy Spirit came and changed your heart and applied all that Jesus did in His life, death, and resurrection to you because you came to Him. 
because you are effectually called. Have you experienced the supernatural, soul-saving call of God? I'm praying some of you may experience it this morning, if you have not. Now, here in verse 1, Paul is not speaking particularly about a call to salvation. He is speaking about a call to apostleship. And this is the second way that Paul typically uses this word. It's either in regards to salvation, some element of salvation, or in regards to this office of apostle. But the principle that I've just spent that time talking about holds true here as well. Because it's not as if Jesus came to Paul and politely asked him whether he wanted the job of an apostle or not. It's not as if it was just given as an invitation to be accepted or rejected. Paul, on that Damascus road, on his way, with letters from the chief priest in his hands to go and arrest those people preaching the name of Jesus, suddenly had his life turned around. Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus and said, Rise, stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness. It's not... Paul, would you like to be an apostle? It is Paul, I'm here and today you're becoming an apostle. (laughs) The command of Jesus immediately pierced the heart of Paul. And from that moment he was an apostle. In 1 Corinthians 1.1, Paul says that he was called by the will of God. And the will of God is a powerful thing. You cannot overcome it. It is not only mightier than any strength you possess, but it has a way of getting into your soul and affecting your wants, affecting your desires. Paul wasn't dragged against his will to become an apostle, but rather all Jesus had to do was speak. And suddenly Paul's heart was changed and that which he was fighting against, he suddenly became a spokesman for. He arose a willing servant of Christ, ready to fulfill the calling for which, though he did not know it till that day, he had been set apart for from before the time he was born. Paul was unique in that his effectual calling to salvation and his effectual calling to be an apostle happened simultaneously. They were one and the same calling for Paul. Now, if that is what it meant for Paul, How does that affect the way we think about ourselves and what it means for you or I to be called to something? We need to understand that the New Testament doesn't use the word called the way we sometimes do. We speak of being called to the mission field or called to work with children or called to teach a a Sunday school class. Somebody might come to me and say, Preacher, I I feel called to do this, whatever it may be. We need to understand that in the New Testament, the word called is, is only used in regards to salvation and in regards to this office of apostleship. And there's a big difference between that kind of calling and the way we tend to think about being called to something. Here's the crucial difference between Paul's calling to be an apostle and our calling towards some area of service. The crucial difference is this. Each and every one of the apostles were personally appointed to their office by the Lord Jesus Christ. 
What the apostles experienced was not merely a feeling rising up in their hearts. It was an actual appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ to them, commissioning them, declaring to them their office. There was little room for mistake about their calling. They knew they had been called. The Lord Jesus had done it Himself. And even in the Old Testament, when God called someone to be a leader or a prophet to His people, you think about Moses at the burning bush or Isaiah in the temple in Isaiah 6. God Himself was there speaking, calling, appointing. And so their callings were utterly unmistakable. And yet when we think of the word calling, we often use it differently. It's typically attached to feelings. I feel called to do something And there's a place for that, as you'll hear me teach in a moment. But our individualistic culture likes to assume that if someone feels something, it is beyond question. If I feel called to become a pastor or a teacher or a missionary or a Sunday school teacher or whatever area of service it might be, if I feel it, then it must be a genuine calling. And yet the things with feelings is that they can be misleading. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Years ago, I felt a call to become a pastor. I can remember where I was. I can tell you that it was an emotionally charged moment in my life. There were hundreds of of other teenagers in this big auditorium Many of them were crying. They were huddled up in groups, praying. I was with my youth group from church, and these were my best friends. And as I looked around that room, and I saw so many of these groups of teenagers calling on the Lord, I suddenly had a sense in my heart, a a desire that this is what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to see people connected to the Lord. I wanted to to be used and seeing people grow in their walk with Him. I I wanted to to go into the ministry, become a pastor. Now friends, in that moment, was it really God speaking to me, telling me that this was His desire for me? Or maybe was it merely me being an impressionable 15-year-old in a room thick with emotion, having been away from home for a week, physically tired, or some other factor? Is it not possible that I could have been building my entire life since that time on a feeling that I misinterpreted or that I misread? Paul and the apostles never had to wrestle with a question like that. Jesus Himself appeared and appointed them. You don't question that. You don't doubt that. And moreover, the early Christians had no reason to doubt their calling as apostles. It was widely known how the twelve apostles had walked with Jesus, learning from Him, 
How Jesus had promised from the very beginning almost that he would send them out after he was gone to instruct his people and build them up. And there was a number of people present on that day in Acts 1 when Matthias, who had also known the Lord Jesus, walked with the Lord Jesus, been present for his teaching. He was selected by the casting of lots to take the place of Judas. And so the Christian church widely regarded these 12 men as as truly called to be apostles by Jesus. There was just no doubt about it. But not so with Paul. He was not with the other disciples when they were walking and talking with Jesus while Jesus was on the earth. Yet in 1 Corinthians 15.8, Paul says, Last of all, as to one untimely born... He appeared also to me. Now, how were others expected to believe this? I mean, can you imagine the thoughts of the apostles in Acts 9 when Saul of Tarsus shows up at their door? Here is a man who had been instrumental in putting those claiming the name of Jesus in prison. He was there looking on when Stephen was martyred, stoned to death. And now suddenly this man, known for his rampage against the believers, shows up at their door and says, let me in. I've been changed. I've been called to preach the gospel, to be one of you. What would you have said if you'd been in that room when he knocked on the door? The guy would have said, show me some proof. (laughs) We're not letting you in. We're going to get somebody to distract you when we're sneaking out the back. We want some evidence, some way of knowing that, that what you're claiming is true. Now, thankfully, a man named Barnabas had gotten to know Paul a little and was able to vouch for him. And the apostles got to know Paul a little bit better. And and over time, they in fact did assert, yes, we do believe this man is a called apostle. But this would haunt Paul the rest of his life. There would always be accusations by those who opposed his teaching. You know, Paul's not really one of the apostles. I mean, he claims to have been personally appointed by the Lord Jesus, but we weren't there on the Damascus Road. And so Paul was constantly having to defend the fact that he is a called apostle. Now, how did Paul deal with that? Well, he said ridiculously bold things, audacious things like this. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. How's that for an answer? If you are in the Spirit, if you claim to preach or speak God's truth, then you should acknowledge that what I'm writing is in fact from Jesus. Basically, he said, if you're spiritual and really love Jesus, you'll acknowledge that I'm an apostle. How's that for a defense? Now, why did Paul speak that way? Because Paul genuinely believed that as he taught and spoke, the Holy Spirit 
would work through his teaching and bear witness to the hearts of God's people that what he was saying was true, and therefore his apostolic calling would be confirmed. And this proved to be the case. Those who had the most reason to distrust Paul and to discount Paul, the other apostles, affirmed Paul. They were convinced that Jesus Jesus Himself was genuinely revealing instruction to His church through this man. But again, what about us? How can we know if we've been called to something? Because Jesus doesn't typically personally appear to people to call them to be a Sunday school teacher or a missionary. How can we be sure that that what we're feeling is truly from God and not from the the, the bacon we had for breakfast or the maybe you don't eat bacon, maybe you eat you know low fat whole grain waffles, but whatever you know, how do you know that that that, that you know it's 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 more than a feeling? It's a song, isn't it? You see the question I'm asking? How can we don't have I saw the Lord Jesus appear to me and call? And our feelings can mislead us. Well, just as the other apostles came to know Paul and his teaching and were able to testify that his calling was genuine, so God uses his people to help them affirm whether someone's calling is legitimate or not. And we see this clearly in 1 Timothy 3, among other places. Quickly turn with me to 1 Timothy 3. Because I hope this will be helpful to some of the, the practical questions that come up in the Christian life. Am I called to serve in this way? Am I called to take on this role? I hope this will be helpful. In 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7, we are dealing with, particularly here, the issue of overseers, elders, pastors, those called to the ministry of a shepherd. And what we are given here in verses 1 through 7 are qualifications for pastors. And the first qualification that I see here is desire. Look at verse 1 with me. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So Paul assumes, as he goes into this discussion about how churches are to wisely appoint for themselves pastors, he he assumes there must be a desire, there must be a a, a yearning, an aspiration to the office. And so if someone is to be a pastor, or I would suggest if you are to serve in any other place in the body of Christ, there does need to be a willingness. There does need to be a desire. There does need to be a feeling. God, does not, God is not pleased by involuntary service. Well, I'm going to take on this role. I really don't want to do it, but I guess nobody else will, so let me fill it. You ever heard anybody talk that way? Think that's the kind of service God wants? Of course not. Oh, a terrible witness too. So there is to be a feeling, there is to be a desire, but is that the only qualification? Is it, if there is someone who aspires to be an overseer, that's all that's needed, the aspiration, let them serve. Is that all that's there? Of course not. There are other qualifications 
above reproach, husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, managing his household well, dignified, keeping his children submissive, knowing, uh, let's see, verse 6, he must not be a recent convert. Uh, He must be well thought of by outsiders. So we have given this whole list of qualifications for someone who already has the desire, but more is needed. Other Christians, the body is to come around this person and to say, does this person have those qualifications? Can we affirm this person's sense of a calling to go into the pastorate or to any other uh, office uh, that is legitimate, that is real? Or can we say from the Word of God that seems to be questionable? Now, that's how it works for pastors, but I think it ought to work similarly for every other aspect of our lives. Whatever the the calling you may feel you've been called to is, I think this principle holds true. And notice the role of the Word of God in all this. When I feel called to something, I should test my calling according to the Word of God. And I should be tested by other Christians according to the Word of God. I've heard of couples claiming that God called them to get a divorce. They did not test that calling according to the Word of God where God says, I hate divorce. You see. And so the Word of God must be uh, preeminent here. And this is why we need godly people around us. Godly people who will speak honestly to us about what they see in our lives so that they can say, yes, I do see that. You know, I've gotten to know you over these years and we've had this fellowship together and, you know, I I, I have seen how you seem to be particularly gifted at working with children. And I I really do believe that that would be good for you and it would be a blessing to our church. I see that. Or maybe they would need to come to you and very gently but lovingly say, friend, I've been watching you these years. You know I care for you. You know, I'm just not so sure that that's probably what, what God's doing in your life. You know, there are some other areas where you may be beneficial to the church, but I don't think this one is it. And so God uses His people to help us affirm whether these feelings we have in our side of ourselves are are true or or not. The same night that I felt called to become a pastor, there was a a man present that night who was older than I was, wiser than I was, and a, a man that I respected very greatly who came to me that night and said, Justin, I just want you to know, I've known you for a while. He said, I I want you to know I'm not surprised at what you're telling me tonight. I've thought for a long time God was bringing you in that direction. You know, that was encouraging to me. There was affirmation. And and over the years, through training and ministry and through giving opportunities to preach at different times, people would come to me and and say things to me that helped affirm that, that I was on the right track. And so I'm so thankful to God for putting those people in my life who loved me enough to be able to say, Justin, you're, you're going the right way. We think this calling is real. Or, I pray, if it had not been, that they would have come and told me so. That that's what they saw. It is a terrible thing when people assume that an inward feeling is all that is needed. The Christian life is not to be lived in solitude, but in fellowship with other believers. We need each other. And we need each other's honesty. We live in an age when people who deny the resurrection of Jesus feel called to preach. We live in an age in which there's that uh, lady in Seattle 
who says that she's a Christian and a Muslim. And she says she feels called to preach. We live in an age in which those who are neck deep in sin, living in openly homosexual relationships, for example, who see no reason why we ought to question their calling to the gospel ministry. These people badly need mature Christians around them, loving them, caring for them, concerned about them enough to bring them to the Bible and to say, it is possible for you to have misinterpreted what you thought God was doing. Let's go to what is clear here in the the black and white of the Word of God. And so here are two things that I think we should look for as we think about our calling our place in the body of Christ. We're not called to be apostles. We'll talk about that tonight. But I can tell you with biblical authority, if you feel called to be an apostle, you are mistaken. To be an apostle, you have to have seen the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ and you have to be laying the foundation and writing Scripture in the first century. So uh, unless you're 2,000 years old, you, you haven't been called to be an apostle. Talk about that tonight. But as we think about our callings and our place in the body of Christ, I would say we need to have both of these things. One, a desire in your heart, a willingness. Yes, I want to serve in this way. And a body of godly, wise believers around you who say, yes, that's a fit for your life, for where you are in your walk with Christ. And that's a fit for for what will benefit this body. Now, by the way, it doesn't always happen in that order. It might be that you haven't even considered a ministry. That there's no desire or willingness there. You hadn't even thought about it. And brothers and sisters in Christ come to you and say, Friend, you know what? I think you might would do well serving over here. That that your part of our body might be to function in this way. To serve in this way. And you say, you know, I hadn't thought about that. And then maybe all at once or maybe gradually, God begins to give you the desire. So sometimes it might be you have the desire and then you look to other believers for confirmation or it may be that they come to you first and after they have confirmed that they see that in your life, you begin to have the desire. It can work both ways. But I think both are important. Jesus is the head of His church. It is He who gives each and every local church its members And He gives each of those members by His Holy Spirit, all who are true believers, He gives them gifts and abilities to be a blessing to that church as a whole. He is shaping us and He is forming us. And as He does so, He shapes us to fill certain roles in the body. The role may change over time. Today, when you're at this point in your Christian walk, this might be the best place for you to serve. And then as you grow and as you change, this place may, ten years from now, be the best place for you to serve. And so one of our responsibilities as a church is to look at one another and to help one another recognize those areas in which we are most gifted and can be most beneficial to the body. That responsibility of helping believers identify their gifts and abilities to encourage the body, that falls particularly to the leadership of the church. But it doesn't begin there. It begins with you knowing one another, being involved in one another's lives, having the kind of relationships with one another that you see these things in each other and can encourage one another by identifying evidences of grace in each other's lives. A machine will never work well 
when its parts are all in the wrong places. I could use any kind of silly illustration to illustrate that, but I don't need to. You, you get it, right? You know, now the handlebars for your feet and the pedals for your hands won't work. The parts need to be in the right place for it to function well. Well, similarly, our church will never function so well as when our members have found particular places of service that fit them well, bringing them joy and benefiting the body as a whole. Now, we're almost done. Refocusing back on our text, Romans 1. I hope you see the difference between Paul's call to the apostleship and the way God calls us to various ministries and services. Don't jumble these together. They are different. The call of an apostle was a special, unique calling. It was, it was immediate. It was effectual. It was unmistakable. Just like our calling to salvation. But when it comes to our roles of service in the church of Christ, we are to think differently. We are to look to the God-given desires of our hearts. We are to look to the encouragement of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And all of this, of course, is to be done alongside prayer for wisdom and the regular study of God's Word. And through these means of grace, Jesus will lead us and bless us, and through us, He will bless others. And so let me close with some questions for you to consider. As you think about your life over the past few months and years, Has there been a desire in your heart to serve God in a particular way? Has there been a common theme among the encouragement you have received from your brothers or sisters in Christ? Could it be that Christ is using your brothers and sisters to to lead you into a new role of service? Question two. Could it be that you are in a place of service which is not really appropriate for you? Could it be that God's people would be better served if you were serving in a different way? Or if someone more gifted was serving where you are? And if you were to go to those whom you consider the most mature and the wisest of believers, would they affirm that you are serving in a good and helpful way that is both best for you and for the body? Or do you think they would counsel you otherwise? By the way, the best way to find out is just to go to those that you respect, admire, and ask. Question three, is it possible that you have not been involved with your brothers and sisters in Christ here at this place like you should have been and therefore you've had little or no real opportunity for them to get to know you in such a way that they can help you discern your gifts and be able to intelligently and with God's help give you trustworthy counsel about these things? Could it be that you are missing out on an important means of grace, a vital part of your Christian life because your relationships with your fellow believers here are not as deep as they ought to be? Question four. Is there someone in this church that you've gotten to know that you might be able to encourage in some important and and helpful way? concerning their spiritual gifts and places of service? Is there someone whom you have seen and you've thought to yourself, you know, at some point I need to tell them, I thank God for what I've seen them doing over here in that area. 
Is there someone like that? Perhaps you've noticed something about them that has caused you to think that God's people could really be served well if they were ministering in this particular way or in this particular ministry. We don't ever want to speak unwisely and we don't want to point people in a bad direction, but when we see evidences of grace in each other's lives, we should be quick to point it out and to thank God for it. And so is there someone that you might be able to encourage this morning, even before you leave this place? Final question. Is it possible that you have never experienced the saving effectual call of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even if you've come to church here 50 years, I ask you to consider that question. Is it possible that you have never had that inward heart experience of being drawn to Christ, being compelled to run to Him with all you are and to throw yourself into His care, depending on Him alone for life and salvation? If you've never experienced that, go to God in prayer and plead that God would grant you that experience. And if God has done that in your life and you have been called to Christ and you are in the depths of your heart resting in Jesus and you're you're reconciled to God and if you've had that happen in your life, then show it the way the apostles and Jesus called for you to show it by being baptized and Becoming a part of His people. I pray that God would press these things in our hearts. That they would be beneficial to us. Let's pray.